epic stories of the Old Testament. One thing I can say, camp was epic. Like, it was just amazing. <laughs> Students had such a great time. I had such a great time, and it was just awesome. And so I want to thank Pastor Avery for another opportunity to preach. Uh, it's always a little nervous whenever it's time to preach, and, but I've been told that that's a good thing. So I guess I'm in my element. And so, but I want to give all the thanks and glory to God for camps these last two weeks. Students were giving their lives to Jesus, and we saw chains broken. Across all camps, we baptized 12 in middle school, and we baptized 24 in high school camp. So a total of 36 were baptized through camps. And, it, I mean, it was awesome. And I think we asked some, yep, there we go. There's middle school. There's high school. And, yeah, that water was freezing. It was like 48 degrees. Yeah, it was like really cold, right? And so second, I want to recognize the students that went to one of our camps. If you're a student and went to camp, stand up. Awesome, guys. Yeah, there was so many. There you go, all in the back. Yeah. I mean, they let it all out. And worship. They didn't hold anything back, and it was amazing to watch. As God moved in the hearts of the students, he also moved in the hearts of us student pastors. I mean, we were down on our knees in front of the stage, just letting it all out in tears, praying for revival among the students, praying for revival in our church, praying for revival just in the city, just in the world in general. And wow, let me tell you, God is faithful. He is faithful. And so students broke down in tears in each other's arms, and it was an amazing sight to watch. New relationships were formed. Shackles were broken. Arms were raised in worship. Everyone had their arm raised in worship. And weights were lifted off their shoulders. Students were helping other students get closer to God, which I thought was amazing to watch. A student would be in the moment, crying, another student would see him, and a student would walk clearly across to the other side and grab that student and hug him and pray with him. And it was just awesome to watch them act that way among each other as peers. And so I had conversations with students, and I felt the weight that they were carrying. As a father myself, I thought, how could these students possibly have much to deal with, right? And that's what we think as adults and parents. But I, I tell you this, God opened my eyes, opened the eyes to my heart to realize that we're all dealing with something no matter the age we're at. And so today we'll be in Jonah and we'll take a look at Jonah and his walk and his story. And so if you want to open your books to Jonah, uh, we'll be moving around in there, so just keep it ready. And so life always seems to take us in many directions. In this last year, the world struggled to fight COVID and many other things as a society that we deal with on a day-to-day. -day. It appears that we'll never get back to what we think was a normalcy. But one thing we do know and one thing that we can be absolutely sure of is that God's never-ending pursuit of love for us, even when we don't feel loved. He's always chasing us. We can lean on his never-ending promises throughout Scripture and his power to use us when we're weak to fulfill mighty acts. And that's what we've been seeing in these epic stories. God using broken people to perform mighty acts. 
God is always sitting on the throne facing us and wanting to use us in his story, even when you may feel as though he does not see you. He's ready to use you. For most, including myself, the story of Jonah can seem more fictional at times than real. The idea of a well or what scripture tells us, a large fish swallowing up a person and spitting them up where God needed them to be can seem more like an allegorical story than an actual event. But I'm here today to tell you that God is not in the fiction business. He is in the redemption business. Believe me, I have seen God's redemptive power this week and last week. These past two weeks at camp were amazing. It was so amazing that in ways it filled my soul and encouraged me to stay the course. It was those students, and I'm sure as Pastor Avery can relate, it's in seeing the chains broken and seeing those that we shepherd grow that makes us say, you know what? We're doing the right thing. Let's keep going. Let's keep pushing forward. And I felt that this week. If there's one thing I learned at camp, the point to this message, that is God will always pursue you and use you in life. We know Jonah is a real real person, not only because Jonah is mentioned in his own book, but also because in 2 Kings 14.25, Jonah is mentioned as living during the times of Jeroboam, which was the king of the time, at around 793 to 753 B.C. But also at the same time, we know he's real as well because Jesus refers to him in Matthew 12, 39 through 41. So it's not just a fictional person that we're reading about when we read the book of Jonah. A matter of fact, I read an article about a lobster diver by the name of Michael Packard who was swallowed by a whale on June 11th, a little bit before 8 a.m. in Cape Cod. His exact words were, all of a sudden, I felt this huge shove, and the next thing I knew, it was completely black. I could sense I was moving, and I could feel the well squeezing with the muscles in his mouth. I thought to myself, there is no way I'm getting out of here. I'm done. I'm dead. So being swallowed by a well is not impossible, right? <laughs> like, okay. I'm like, wow, it's, it can happen, right? And so the story of Jonah is an iconic story among children ministry, right? I remember talking to the students at camp, and they were like, oh, yeah, we see, remember that on VeggieTales, right? And so it's an iconic story in children ministry, but not discussed much among us adults. It's not a story that we go to much. We stay usually in the Gospels which is a great place to be. And so we tend to believe that we're in our higher understanding of a, than a child-taught story and are in search of a deeper understanding in our relationship with God. But let me tell you, the time we learn the most is when we're children. Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 3, he said, Truly I tell you, unless you turn and become like children... You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So as a child, I want to learn. If that's where I got to be, I want to be there. As we grow older in our walks with God, we at some point start to think that God can only use us when we're living right 
making the right choices, or only when we are what we believe to be as walking truly with Jesus. We get this idea that we have to be a certain way before God can use us. When God wants to use us, all of a sudden, we forget all the people God used that did not measure up. They're all throughout Scripture. Today we're going to look at the story and a few parts of the text that resonate with us who struggle to believe that God wants to use us. Because I say again, God will always pursue you and use you in life. If you have your Bibles, open to Jonah, and we'll be moving around, so keep your Bible handy. We are going to look at a few places in the book of Jonah that are truly relatable in life today and seem to be reasons why we believe God cannot use us. And so first, we're going to look at disobedience. If you would look at Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, the word of the Lord says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go to, with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. And so immediately when I read that, the first thing I think is that if I were to have a story written in the Bible, I would not want it to start out with being disobedient. I'm like, this sounds like it's going to go bad from the get-go. Right? But the great thing is, is yet in Jonah's disobedience, we, we are going to see that God is faithful. Jonah knew the Ninevites and their evil ways. Right? For Jonah, going to Nineveh sounded like a possible death sentence. The Ninevites were, from, were known to do evil acts against the Jews. It was in this fear that Jonah believed he could flee to Tarshish to run from the calling God had for him. And so Tarshish is the furthest west from the eastern city of Nineveh. He was trying to go the farthest he could go. Jonah thought for a second that he could get away if he went in the opposite direction. How many times have you run from God? I know I have. So what makes Jonah disobedient? First, we know the tr- he knows the truth when God spoke to him in verse 1 and said, go to Nineveh. Yeah, he didn't go. And second, as a prophet, knowing God's word, in Psalms 139, 7 through 8, when David writes, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. So no matter the highs or the lows, God is always there. Always there. Jonah knew there was no running from the will of God. He was a prophet. He knew this. And that is a good thing because it shows us that God cares about who we are, even in the midst of being who we may be ashamed of. You see, there are students that went to camp this past two weeks, and they were running from God. 
Many of them told me this themselves. They were running as though they believed that they could not be seen by God for their actions and the things that they were doing in their lives. Yet God is faithful because even though they ran, Jesus still pursued them that week. And he's still pursuing them now. As Jesus pursued the students, we saw a change in them that can only be done by the divine hand of God. We saw a revival at camp, and it was an amazing sight to see. There are many, uh, many characters in Scripture who are disobedient. And just to name a few, you have Adam who ate the fruit yet fathered humanity. You have Abraham who uh, didn't wait to have the child that was promised, yet fathered the tribes of Judah who led to Jesus. You had Moses who hit a rock when he was told not to, yet took the Jews out of Egypt and to the promised land. King Saul took spoils that he was told not to take, yet he defeated many of Israel's enemies. David took another man's wife, yet he is known as a man after God's heart and built Israel. Aaron made a golden calf after Mo while Moses was up on the mountain, yet he was Moses' mediator, and he initiated the first three plagues. And then we have Jonah, fled from the command to go to Nineveh. And as we'll see later in the text, he still brought repentance to the hearts of the Ninevites. And so while disobedience should never be the course one should take against God, God's love and mercy can overcome the shame a person feels when they're in the wrong, even in disobedience. God will pursue you and use you in life. And students, hear me clearly. This is not a pass for you to go and disobey. Don't forget that Jonah still had to go through some pain because of his disobedience. Disobedience does not come without consequence. And so as we move forward in the story, Jonah was on this ship. Then a great wind came and it started threatening to wreck the ship. The sailors started to cry out to what the text says, their gods, and told Jonah to cry out to his God as well. At this point, they started to cast lots to see who was the real problem, who was causing all this wind and ruckus on the, on the sea. And so it pointed to Jonah. And so Jonah professed who his God was, and they asked what they should do. And so if you look at chapter 1, verses 11 through 16, the word of the Lord says, Then they said to him, What shall we do to you? that the sea may be quiet for us, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to, the, to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And so my next point is disbelief. 
And Jonah's disobedience, God makes himself known to the sailors in their disbelief. The sailors asked Jonah to cry out to God in verse 6 after they cried out to what the scripture says, their gods. So we know that they were pagan worshipers. Jonah goes on to tell the sailors about the God he serves when he's asked about who you serve and who you are. And Jonah says, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Wow, how the tables have turned from Jonah being disobedient and now God has taken Jonah's disobedient and used it for his glory to tell the non-believing sailors about the God of heaven. Jonah has just been used to evangelize, right, in the midst of his disobedience. And so the sailors did not believe in the one true God, the God of all creation, the God of salvation, the one we know as Yahweh, Jesus Christ. The sailors did not believe until the storm got worse. We see this in verse 13 when it says, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. So they thought, oh, well, if I just row harder, I'll get there. And then it just got worse. And God was like, no, you're going to know who I am. And he made it happen. And in their fear of God, the sailors finally decided to listen to Jonah. And they threw him overboard. I laugh every time at that. I can't help myself. They threw him overboard. And it was in that moment, that very moment, as soon as Jonah hit the water, the waters calmed and the sailors became believers in God. In the same God, Jonah worshiped the God of the heavens. And we know this because the text says, then the, mere, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They professed Jesus. They professed God at that moment, and they believed in him. At camp, we had students that said they struggled with their belief in God because they had never had the experience that they had been told that other people have had. But when they were forced to disconnect from the world, forced to disconnect from electronic devices, and were immersed in study and worship, God moved and many of them experienced God for the first time. I had students that said they did not want to leave because they were afraid the feeling of God's presence would go away. That's how much he was moving. But I'm here to say God will always pursue you and use you in life, not just at camp, at church, at school, at home, among friends, at work. He's pursuing you in every avenue, everywhere you're at, ready to use you as he needs you, even if you don't want to listen. And so Jonah is then swallowed up by a well. He begins to cry out to God in prayer, and then he's thrown up by the well on dry land in Nineveh. In fear of being in the well again, Jonah decides to do as God commands. He's like, yeah, I don't want to take that route again. And he tells the Ninevites to repent. And it's amazing. All the Ninevites instantly repent without question, and God forgives them. They didn't give any pushback. They, just, they repented. That message was what they needed to hear. And so 
Now we move forward into chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. And the third point is displeased. And so the word of the Lord says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and, a, and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? How many of you have been displeased with the outcome of a situation? Or something you've prayed for and it just didn't come out the way you truly wanted it to be. I think all of us have. For Jonah, not only did he may have wanted to see the Ninevites experience God's wrath because he knew who they were and what they had done to his people. He was also upset that he went through all of that only to have God forgive the very people that brought evil among his people. Jonah already claimed that he knew this would happen in verse 2. Have you ever wanted something bad to happen to someone that did you wrong? I'm a preacher, and I, I think I have before too, right? And, I mean, I repented for it, and I say, God, forgive me. But when someone wrongs you, it, it hurts, and you get in your emotions, Right? Well, this can be a dark place in life, which can cause bitterness, anger, hatred in life. It takes to a place of unforgiveness, which will eat us up inside. You don't want to be in that place. While God knows our feelings, we sometimes believe that we're justified in that moment. God also tells us to forgive and move forward. We must not stay in a bitter, angry mindset where Jonah is at right now. And Paul tells us this when he writes in Ephesians 4.32. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So Jonah needs to forgive the Ninevites and let go. And so God asked Jonah a question that I believe we should all ask when we're in a place of being displeased or upset or angry. Do you do well to be angry? And the truth is no. There's no benefit from it. We don't gain anything from it. God is the creator and the orchestrator of life. Everything that happens according to his will is for the benefit of his kingdom even if it displeases us. And being displeased, Jonah felt oh, he should be dead because he would be better off. Yet, that is never true. It's never true. He wants to see us and pursue us and keep going and walking with us. In the midst of Jonah's disobedience and displeasure, God redeemed the sailors and 120,000 Ninevites, despite how Jonah felt about the Ninevites. 
He pursued him, and he used him. At camp, I heard stories from students that believed they didn't deserve God's forgiveness or stories about being upset with parents and friends and not forgiving them. Hard stories to hear. They're right about not deserving forgiveness because we all don't deserve forgiveness. But God gave it to them this week anyway. They asked for forgiveness and God removed the shackles that were holding them down. As other students and I crawled through a cave that was barely wide enough to slide through on our belly, man, it was terrifying. We made our way into the belly of that cave and turned the lights off. We sat in total darkness and fear began to creep in. That fear was symbolic of doubt, the anger, the depression, and many other things that many of us struggle with today. But in that moment, that vulnerable moment, we all began to worship and the fear became excitement that we were crawling by faith out of the belly of the well. Ready to be used by God and recognizing his loving pursuit for us. You see, God pursued Jonah, the sailor, and the Ninevites. He also used them when it seemed that they were unusable. God will always pursue you in life, no matter where you're at in life, and he can always use you as well. And so camp was awesome to watch them and how they were growing. It was awesome to watch them break down and let it all go at the altar. The shame, the conviction, the doubt, the unforgiveness, the disobedience, whatever it is that they were dealing with in their lives, they let it go. And so the same thing can be said for all of us here today. God is pursuing us. He's waiting for that moment for us to turn to him and say, you know what? I need you in my life. And so if that's you today, we have an invitation room that you can go and someone will speak with you to help guide you along that path and in prayer in a relationship with the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we're just so grateful that you pursue us and run after us even when we may not be walking the right way. That you see in us what we don't see in ourselves and that you love us when we may feel ashamed of ourselves. We're so grateful that you can use us. I'm so grateful that you use me at camp and that you use multiple students to talk to each other and grow. Lord, we look for the days to come, the revival that's gonna happen among the student ministry and in Champion Forest. We know you are changing things in our church and you are growing us and we're grateful for that. Father, we ask that you just continue to keep a hedge of protection around us and love us and guide us as you always have. And we thank you for your mercy and we thank you for your redemption and your love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Thank you for joining us online. We hope today's experience encouraged and challenged you. At Champion Forest, we are passionate about all kinds of people coming to know God 
to grow in their relationship with Him and others, and then to go out and make a difference in the world. We would love the opportunity to talk and pray with you. To connect with us, just go to championforce.org connect. And hey, of course, we can't wait to welcome you on campus, in person, on one of our locations. We'll see you soon.